may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome, everyone, here to the call this morning. It's a blessing to be here with you again on Strength to Strength. Uh, our, our vision with this platform is to see um, topics engaged um, and where we can have candid conversation and where mo- most importantly, through this interaction, through this fellowship, this teaching, this engaging, God's kingdom can be advanced. Uh, and our prayer is that God's kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if that's your heartbeat, um, welcome here uh, with us. Um, there's there's two announcements that I wanted to make here this morning. Uh, one of those is that there's a, and both of those are about upcoming events. But the first one is the Church Planters Forum that's happening here in about a week and a half. I believe it's, it begins Wednesday, June 14th, and it's, it's at Penn Valley Retreat. Um, so it's a forum or a, a, a conference that's been happening since 2014. And uh, people who are church planters or are interested in church planting, um, whether North America or globally, are, are welcome to that. Um, and so you can get more information at Penn Valley's website or at churchplantersforum.org. And I think there's more room for attendees. So that's a, one of the reasons I thought I would announce that. Uh, and then also um, at the end of August, we have an event called Kingdom Fellowship Weekend that happens um, I've been going to that since 2014, and um, it's always a weekend of many Christians from all around the world uh, that gather for that weekend. So a wonderful time of fellowship. And um, so if you find it in your interest to gather with a lot of different believers, uh, join us there. And again, you can get information there on our website at kingdomfellowshipweekend.org. So again, uh, welcome here uh, to the call. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, Brother Delbert um, speaking this morning on speech and patterns of life. The description of his talk goes like this. No one disputes that our words are a window to our heart. Yet few recognize how our words steer our lives and ultimately our destiny. With amazing accuracy, the measure we use will be measured back to us. Matthew 7, 1 through 2. In this talk, Delbert encourages care in our critiques of those around us and ponders what impact that could have on the fragmentation of our fellowships. Um, So Brother Delbert is a brother here, part of our congregation. Um, I've heard him talk about these topics before. Um, Delbert loves to, um, yeah, study history. Uh, He's a history buff. Um, I think if he would probably deny that, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that um, we love studying history, biblical history, also the intersection of economics and the kingdom of God and, and what that should look like. Um, and also Delbert loves loves the outdoors, loves hunting. I think before he was saved, he was um, leading tours or hunting um, excursions in Alaska and things like that. So he's somebody with a lot of different unique experiences, and um, I consider it a blessing to be part of the same fellowship as him. So welcome here, Delbert. Good to good to have you here uh, on, on the call with us. And why don't we just bow our heads for prayer, and then we'll let you uh, share what you what's on your heart. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be gathered here as brothers and sisters from a lot of different parts uh, of, your, of your world, of your good world. Father, we we know that the earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And this time of the year, it's just this uh, this part of the world anyhow is just bursting with life. Um, the plants are coming up, the birds are singing, uh, the the forests are just the, such a rich green. And Father, it, it just calls our hearts to just worship you. And Father, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our love. You're worthy of our allegiance. And Father, we want to grow in all these areas. And Father, as we think about uh, how you have formed us and specifically how you have called us to interact with each other as as fellow humans, and as we also think about in our church fellowships, 
um, healthy church life, what that looks like. Um, Father, we know that that we need much grace from you uh, as we work together shoulder to shoulder with others in the body of Christ. And Father, I pray that you'll bless Delbert in a special way as he shares this message on speech and patterns of life. Give him wisdom, Father, give him a clear mind, um, and, and then we ask a special blessing on him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, blessings, brother. Um, go ahead, and then, of course, we'll when you're done there, we'll open it up for some questions and uh, and responses here. So, go ahead. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, uh, I want to say thanks for having me on this uh, program. Sort of a new experience to me. I don't generally speak to my smartphone very much, or at least do <laughs> it. Um, so. Uh, what I want to talk about is uh, speech, uh, logos, uh, prayer, and uh, the way it uh, patterns out our lives. And uh, I want to say at the outset that uh, I'm not an authority on these things. Um, take it, uh, see what is uh, of value to you, and uh, use discernment, and uh, if... Uh, it's uh, good, apply it to your life. If it's not, you can just uh, discard it. I read most of the uh, books this way and uh, take what's true and uh, do your best to not pay attention to the rest. So I'm no different than anybody else. I am, uh, have uh, my shortcomings as well and my interpretation of reality. And uh, for the most part, I just work for a living. I'm not uh, an academic guru. So. Um, in uh, thinking about these things, uh, probably been a lot uh, of influence in uh, the people I've listened to, uh, prominent figures in the media world, that uh, tend to think that uh, the freedom of speech is under attack in America. People like uh, Jordan Peterson, Tucker Carlson, uh, others that are on the right that are quite concerned about where freedom of speech is going in uh, the light of uh, some of the left-wing woke ideology that's uh, overtaking us. And I got to thinking, you know, what, uh, what does Jesus think about uh, the freedom of speech? And so some of this uh, comes from sort of pondering that paradigm. So I want to look at this primarily from the Gospels, and, uh, but uh, the New Testament as a whole. Um, recently, I uh, got to spend some time in Philadelphia, which is uh, the founding of uh, the nation. A, lo a lot of it happened there, and it's sort of an interesting place to, to walk around, um, see the museums and the historical sites. It's, uh, it well reflects the, the interface between uh, faith and politics in America and the way the country was founded. And... Uh, this, this uh, First Amendment, the first principle of what it means to be American is you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and that there was uh, sort of two Bible verses that were, uh, that were kind of all over the place down there. And the one was, uh, where, the Spirit of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the other one, uh, I think, was from Galatians, where Paul says uh, that if Christ is... Uh, set us free, don't get snared again in the yoke of bondage. And these were the two principal verses that were used by the founders to, uh, to build the freedom of speech and freedom of expression into uh, the Constitution of the United States and make it sort of uh, the first uh, principle of what it means to be American. And it's interesting to look at that. What are we... Uh, somewhere close to 300 years after that happened. We're not quite there yet. But uh, a lot of the churches and so forth that uh, spouse to this, that, that gave us this principle, have rainbow flags hanging on them, which is a demonstration of their alliance with uh, the LGBTQ movement. So we have a... Uh, a movement, a country that has 
gone from freedom of expression to uh, to identifying sort of however we wish. And uh, I think there's a connection between these these things. And uh, that's what I want to look into this morning is how does uh, speech actually impact our lives and uh, the socio-cultural dynamics in the long run. Uh, so I want to start off in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and then go to Matthew. And uh, so I'm going to read a couple verses here out of uh, John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So, the word, it's a logos, it's the Greek word for it. You can call it speech. There's probably some more meaning to it. Perhaps the imagination, the, uh, the reasoning of God that comes forth created the universe. And, uh, Speech is at the very core of uh, what creates and orders our universe. And uh, we are created in the image of the person, Jesus Christ, that this is talking about. So, as we think of just expressing ourselves however we wish, we want to keep that in mind that. Uh, speech has a profound impact in uh, who we are and then what we are and how things get governed in uh, in our universe now flipping over to uh, matthew 12 um jesus here speaks on uh, speech matthew 12 36 37. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, does that sound to you as if Jesus is uh, elevating the importance of uh, having freedom of speech or freedom of expression? It's uh, actually sort of a scary verse that uh, by, by our very idle speech, we will either be justified or condemned. And if, if so much by the idle words, how, many, how much more by the, uh, the words that we speak seriously, the words that we um, speak like in doctrinal ways or in dogmatic ways. The Apostle James says that the tongue sets uh, nature on fire with the fire of hell. And uh, it is, uh, appears to me sometimes when I look around that that is uh, that's sort of what we're burning with at the moment on a broader cultural level. And uh, so it's, it's good to keep that in mind when we're discussing these, uh, these ideas of freedom of speech. Um, flipping over to uh, Matthew 21, 22. Jesus again says something pretty interesting. This is in the context of uh, the fig tree that Jesus cursed. And he, he ends this by saying, Whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And that, that to me is a very curious statement. He says that also in, uh, in John 16, 23 and 24, a little bit of a different context. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We have sort of two different, uh, two different uh, end results here. This passage here in Matthew, there's a curse going forth on something. And in John, it is uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> receiving that you may have fullness of joy. 
And I think that uh, as we think of these things in light of prayer and making petitions, that we have to be very careful because uh, we can invoke these sorts of uh, curses and uh, things that can have long-ranging effects that we sometimes don't 100% uh, think about uh, when we are uh, making petitions because prayer, prayer can be seen in numerous different ways, but one of the main ways is, is petition. And if we, uh, if we look at things like, uh, like political talk, political statements, uh, things like voting, um, giving alliance with uh, certain particular political agendas and parties, we're really making petitions. And even if we're only idly sort of talking about it or having conversations with people, they, these, uh, these things that we speak about can come across perhaps more like prayer than we think, especially when it involves uh, the, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, and the political rallies that are almost uh, reach a fervor and zeal to uh, the traditional religious festival. So, there is, uh, there is an ancient uh, law of prayer that I find very interesting. I think it dates into the 400s, if not earlier, 400s AD, called Lex Orande, Lex Credende, Lex Vivende. It's a Latin phrase that is used a lot in the high churches, sort of uh, like Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Anglicanism. And uh, the Latin phrase that means the law of what is prayed is the law of what is believed is the law of what is lived. And uh, it is why, one of the reasons why that the high churches use uh, liturgy in their prayers is because uh, they, they consider it a little maybe dangerous to just uh, ask for anything and just pray uh, spontaneously that the way that distant uh, revivalist uh, type of religions uh, promote. Uh, and uh, the idea that uh, when you pray, it frames the way you believe. And the way you believe very, very much frames the way you then live out. And th there's some debate around whether or not uh, the law of what is uh, believed becomes before the law of what is prayed, or whether the law of what is prayed comes before the law of what is believed, but you can uh, decide for yourself what you want to think about it. But uh, this system of praying and believing is uh, something that very much, according to the tradition of Christianity, brings forth patterns of life. and. Uh, it uh, creates systems around us in our culture, in our churches. Uh, and uh, I think it's especially, especially important to see these things in light of things like systematic sins and stuff like that. Like if there's a systematized area in life where there is uh, just a sin that is very, very hard, but like to say if an entire church is involved in this thing, that, that that probably has its source in the way we are speaking about certain issues. The, the best example of this that I ever came across is uh, the, the war prayer of Mark Twain. I don't know how many of you have heard of that? Um, where there's a church and they're praying for their uh, patriot soldiers that have gone overseas. And uh, there's some kind of prophet that rides in and uh, and he uh, demonstrates to them the flip side of their prayer. So they're praying for the success of their country, of their nation, of their soldiers, and, and uh, not thinking at all of the consequences that it will have on the other side, uh, on their patriot dead, their families, uh, and what their life will look like. Uh, there's a couple good videos on YouTube of it, excellent stuff. Uh, that uh, I would encourage each one of you to uh, to go and look at. 
to kind of understand that the way that we talk about things really, really has much unfore unforeseen consequences uh, that we just uh, can very easily get all worked up and completely not think about. Um, so there, there's uh, numerous different aspects that I think that, uh, that this happens in life. And uh, one of them being, if you look back at to say the reformers, especially Martin Luther, in the way he, he talks about uh, Paul's use of uh, the term works, um, I will be surprised if I get to judgment day and uh, the way he, that he made uh, works irrelevant to our salvation, to our relationship with God and so on and so forth. If that isn't the seedbed for Western nihilism and lawlessness, I would be very surprised. But uh, you can think about that as you want. But it's, it's an interesting way of uh, that something like that, uh, like he takes this Catholicism and their views on works, reacts towards it. Um, and uh, the, the culture in the West has tracked to lawlessness and nihilism ever since. Um, there is, uh, there's other ways of making petition. If you think of, say, something like uh, the, uh, the system of Planned Parenthood and using those uh, means in our lives, what are we, uh, what are we actually asking for? You know, if we endorse some of their, their things, use some of their mechanisms, it's really a, um, well, we might not even be speaking, but it's a petition against uh, the fruit of the womb. That's a blessing to the Lord. And uh, those sorts of things have uh, massive consequences in the long run on how a society unfolds, how we see humans, how we see marriage, and that sort of thing. And uh, these things, Lots of these things, they all stem from this idea that we are free to express ourselves however we wish to express ourselves. Um, so it's, uh, I'm not advocating for, say, medieval blasphemy laws or something like that, where the heretics get uh, burned at stake for, uh, for uttering uh, anything that's uh, half heretical. I think this is the ideas that they had when they were doing those sorts of things. But it's just important for us to recognize that uh, these patterns, the way we speak, like we, we're not just here to freely, freely chatter about uh, whatever we feel and whatever we want. Those have massive consequences on the way that people's lives shake out around us and what they do and how that our churches, how that our society becomes, like that manifests itself into the future. So the idea of uh, being able to frame the world like this with our prayers, um, I think it can get taken in a wrong way. It, it's, uh, it can, the, the Lex Arande, Lex Pudende thing can get taken as uh, sort of a magic incantation sort of thing, where if you just uh, chant the prayers of the church, your life will automatically just uh, formulate with, in uh, according to the prayers. And uh, I think that's a little short-sighted, maybe. It doesn't take into account uh, for the uh, principle of hypocrisy. And uh, but I do think there's a very real thing there with with the law of what is prayed is the law of what is believed and then lived. Uh, is that if we are uh, if we're praying very very true things, but we're not really into it, we become sort of a hypocrite and a fake, and then our entire life sort of uh, becomes fake, and it sort of unfolds into. Uh, this this uh, lifestyle of uh, of fakeness and hypocrisy, which is uh, one of the main things I think that has destroyed the credibility of Christianity through the last thousand years. 
So I just want to throw that out there. I'm not uh, advocating that uh, we can necessarily just uh, chant uh, prayers and have our and then our life automatically come what those prayers say. We have to be sincere about it. We have to be heartfelt and, and um, things like that. Mm. So yeah, I'm. I like to uh, sort of. Uh, ponder and meditate on some of these patterns of life that's uh and, and the way that things uh unfold throughout history there's probably numerous more things that uh, could be said about it like looking across the scope of human history uh but i would like to sort of shift maybe from the um the more socio-cultural political Thing to me looking a little bit at our, <clears throat> at our churches and the way that uh, it affects us uh, within our brotherhoods. So I want to read from Matthew 7. The, my reason for going this, going here is, uh, is that uh, In our, well, I don't know what churches are all from, but we have a fair amount of struggles in our churches today. Disunity and faction strife. And my life has been, it's been quite a source of grief in my life. And uh, done a fair amount of uh, pondering as to what could be done to uh, mitigate some of these things. Or what is the cause of these things, and then the, how do we turn away from them? So, I want to read Matthew seven, from one to eleven. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me let me remove the speck from your eye and look. The plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give that which is holy unto the dogs. Nor cast your pearls before swine. Lest they, tramp, lest they trample them under their feet and then turn and rend you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened unto you for anyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds to him who knocks it will be opened unto him for what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more your father, which is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. And so we have again here the idea that we can ask and we will receive. Whatever we ask for, God gives us, he's a good father, all those sorts of things, which is to me somewhat troubling at times when I feel I'm not exactly getting what I want to see. So I think it's I think it behooves us to think about sometimes unanswered prayers or things where we want that we're not getting is the first part of this passage. Judge not what measure you use, it would be measured back to you. And the pressure you put on others to perform in certain ways will be put back on you. And uh that uh, our criticisms and our judgments of uh of others have sort of a boomerang effect and uh, come back and uh, haunt our own lives, so to speak. And I want to say this as a confession. I think I have, uh, this has been an issue in my own life. I've uh, said probably too strong of uh, critical things towards other people, towards certain systems. And then uh, when it's my turn to come under the scrutiny, sometimes things have not gone as well. Um, 
So I think there's a pattern we can see in the life of Christ or the death of Christ, maybe, where this is actually similar in his life. And I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't criticize. Christ criticized a lot of things, too. One of his most uh, antagonistic relationships he had was towards the temple. He had uh, prophesied doom on the temple, that not one stone could be left on another. We're going to destroy this thing, build it up in three days. His uh, prophecy against the temple is then the very same thing that happened to him in his body. The very people that he hit with that prophecy destroyed his body on the cross. Or at least gave him over to the Romans so they could do it. But uh, when Christ did this, he was, he was accurate and he was right. And he was prepared for it. He handled it well. And God resurrected his body from the dead. But that there is a pattern here where criticism will return to hit you if you throw it out. And we need to be aware of that when we make those kinds of judgment calls, I believe. And the area in that, that, that bothers me, has bothered me a lot for a long time, is in looking at the Pharisees. A lot of people take the Pharisees for being legalistic. They probably were to a certain extent. But if you look at Jesus' relationship to them, it's primarily, he doesn't accuse them of legalism. He accuses them of neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And so I think in uh, my opinion, running theory, you can take it as whatever you want, is what the Pharisees were more or less doing was revaluing the structure of the law. They were elevating unimportant things and neglecting important things. And I wonder sometimes how much we do that today. It's, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus said once it's, it's, it's easier for, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle or, or a soldier to get into the kingdom of God. Um, so we, uh, we tend as Anabaptists to have very, very strong stances against uh, some of those things. And then it comes down to, Riches and things like that. Do we put the weight on, say, not being rich, um, investing our money in uh, right places that we do in, in uh, not being participants in uh, war and uh, and uh, some of the things that we come against uh, evangelicals for? I wonder sometimes if. Uh, we hold uh, ourselves to the own rigorousness in uh, economic issues and some other issues and uh, the, the, the same way that we hold uh, some of these other issues. I kind of wonder what it would look like, but uh, that could be just my, um, my way of uh, erroneous way of interpreting reality. I but uh, I do worry about some of the, what are, in my opinion, rather scrupulous issues of, uh, of the dress and things like that that we kind of look at sometimes and it bleeds over. And, and then uh, maybe at the same time, be eating too much all the time. You know, these, these kinds of judgments and criticisms on one issue can return on another issue and... Uh, if we are held into account on that issue by the same rigorousness that we're holding others into account, other issues, you know, what's that look like? What's that effect in our lives? So I just want to challenge each one of us, myself, that when we, uh, we do these things of critiquing and criticizing, um, just think about the broader spectrum of life and our own, uh, blind spots, whether that is on an individual level or on the collective level of church and the way it affects our unity and our um, and uh, the fruitfulness of our churches. So with that, I'd like to bring up maybe one more aspect to this, and that, and that is on the church and what, what the new humanity is supposed to look like, and we think about getting judged by every idle word we speak, that uh, 
that is uh, not just, well, we think about it a lot in, uh, in the context of judgment in the afterlife. And I, I think that's, that's probably correct. But uh, the way that the new humanity is, is unfolding in, uh, in our lives <clears throat> is probably very much affected by the way we trying to say all along here and then what we pray for and how we pray in uh, in these uh, for our <clears throat> for our churches so uh, I was reading a uh, a book uh, recently on revivalism and its uh, Protestant religion and its relationship to, uh, to capitalism and the idea in, uh, in capitalism is that uh, you just uh, start new businesses. If, if one business fails or it's not quite what we want, we go down the street, uh, we start a new one. It's uh, competition is good, it is better. And that uh, in, in that, the Protestant religion has uh, largely with their churches emulated their businesses. Like uh, we, we just start new churches to sort of have this competition amongst churches. And uh, it, it has often wondered me where that where that comes from, and if that's really the the ideal that uh, that God has for us in wanting to do church. Um, so, when we think about what we pray for, I've heard a lot of people pray for revivals already, and uh, there's sort of an interesting uh, phenomenon to look at in history. There's probably some good things that came out of them, but uh, it's sort of a flash and a bang and a lot of things going on. And then after that, uh, almost always is this fragmentation of churches. And uh, the zeal that is there oftentimes is not very conducive of unity. And I'm, I'm talking, I'm not a blanket statement about all revival, but uh, first, second, third, great awakening, fourth great awakenings have almost all been followed by fragmentation in churches. And there's, there is a lot of historians that uh, are not entirely convinced that the church was better off afterwards than it was before. And so it probably isn't, at least that's my opinion at the moment. You're welcome to uh, critique that and uh, enlighten me if I'm off my charts there. But as we, as we think of this, <clears throat> there is a there's a principle in the Gospels that Jesus talks about uh, five or six times called the Matthew principle. It is uh, it goes something like, uh, "The he who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. And he who doesn't have even that which he has gets taken away, and uh, he won't have anything." Jesus repeats this quite a lot, and I never have heard it explained a lot, but it's this idea that uh, when we have something, we steward it rightly, it increases and we will have more, and vice versa, <clears throat> the other way. So, as uh, <clears throat> our churches head in certain directions, and uh, if strife multiplies, Think about uh, these principles. Like, where are we stewarding these sorts of things? Where are we stewarding the negative versus stewarding positive? Does it begin with speech? Does it begin with prayer? What we're asking for, what our idle chatter is uh, reflecting, our tendencies to gossip, and so forth. <clears throat> so, I want to turn to Philippians. Philippians, look at Paul's, some of Paul's principles for, for the church in Philippi. Two things, two, two particular passages. Chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> Finally, brethren, whatever, whatsoever things are true, 
whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He says meditate. That's a good place to start. I think it can be applied to speech as well. I think Brother uh, David Rousseau has brought this up already in light of uh, some of the gossip issues in the church. That It's a good way to look at um, the way we speak at churches. Just uh, focus on the positive is something I'm not particularly very good at. I'm more of a critic than, I, than a negative thinker. Sometimes I'm a positive thinker, but that uh, way of speaking about issues around us and uh, addressing things is, uh, I think, good to do, at least to predominantly think on the more positive things and not always uh, let ourselves get bogged down in our negativeness. But uh, I do recognize that uh, there's negative things that need to be addressed. And uh, then Paul has a prayer here at the beginning of the, in, in uh, chapter one, that I want to look at uh, in conclusion. And I think this prayer very much reflects some of the other prayers in his epistles and the way he prayed for the church and Philippi. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and our discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So I think that this prayer reflects very much the base principles of Christianity, that the goal of the church is to be a collective that is fruitful and uh, ever growing in the fruits of righteousness. And uh, just want to encourage each one of us as we think, ponder, pray, speak, that this is, this is our goal to see those things. It's easy to sort of uh, <clears throat> think that, well, if brother so-and-so would just get his act together, then everything would be good and all this sort of negative focus. But Paul is, uh, it, uh, doesn't so much see things through that lens. He's uh, he's uh, more thinking that uh, we need to give love and uh, grow in uh, these spiritual fruits more so than just uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, that's just when we think about other people and think about things, meditate on things in our churches. Just make sure that uh, these uh, these requests of Paul are at the the height of uh, at the apex of uh, what our desire and will is for our churches. As uh, we think about evangelism, outreach, all the different uh, ideas and ideals and vision that the, the churches have that are um, sometimes not seen on all those sorts of things. Just keep these kinds of prayers in uh, remembrance that uh, it is uh, most important that we as believers have uh, this uh, knowledge, wisdom, and discernment growing in our midst and uh, going from ourselves <clears throat> as individuals, as collectives, out to those that are around us. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Brian. Thank you, brother. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. I know this is something that's deep in your heart, um, looking at the root, root causes for some of the division um, in our churches and just the, yeah, the explosion of of different stripes and churches over the last, you know, hundred years, and what are, what are the causes of that? Um, and I, I find it interesting how you tied it into the First Amendment, really the founding um, of of this nation, this idea of freedom. Um, and, and I thought about a recent book I, I've read. 
Protestant brother, but he's really critiquing um, the secularism of our age and even just the lack of discipleship within the church. And I know that you would have read the book too, Delbert, uh, John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies. And he says this, in an age which values freedom almost more than anything else, Jesus confronts us as the most liberated person who ever lived. Um, so, yeah, freedom has become a slave, as you're pointing out. And instead of leading us into flourishing and fullness of life, it has instead become an enemy. Um, so looking at, you know, the, the broader culture, as you did, tying it back to Luther, um, just the, this idea of within Christianity of, of you know, say a prayer, you know, get your ticket and live like you want, this lawlessness, um, kind of being at the, at the root of this uh, is, is a fascinating um, idea and, and, and conclusions that you come to there. Um, but then, yeah, looking at the church and, and, uh, that's, that's where it comes close home. Um, so, uh, I know that you, you, uh, do these critiques, um, carefully, um, really because, well, you're talking about it, right? You're talking about this reality of our speech, our words, our pattern of life will be turned back on us. Um, and I thought of, this verse here in Proverbs 1821, which, you know, you could have went to Proverbs and, you know, read 30 verses this morning if you wanted to um, about these ideas. I know I've heard you reference that before, but yeah, a- Amplified Bible there on Proverbs 1821, death and life are in the power of the tongue. <coughs> and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. So yeah, whether it's, in my local brotherhood or whether it's in my family or my marriage to my neighbor, there's incredible power. Uh, I've seen it in my life work where I've, by God's grace, stewarded it well. And, and then also in a life where I did not steward these things well. Um, yeah. So there's, there's many different ways we can go here, but uh, I'm anticipating questions and, 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 and uh, some feedback here from the group. So I'm going to open it up here. Um, who would like to, to um, share, or ask ask questions, or give give feedback? So, well, what people are thinking there, um, I, I agree with you on the the, the um, Mark Twain prayer, which he himself was a big critic of the church, and not a Christian himself, right, Delbert? No, I think it was atheist. Yeah. Um, so, uh, wow, uh, really, in many ways, um, uh, incredible, incredible uh, judgment on the church uh, in that prayer. But um, you're, you, you did say that, you know, as, as Anabaptist Christians or kingdom Christians, you know, the idea of the two kingdoms or non-resistance is something that we really make a big deal about. But what about other areas uh, that we're, that we're um, struggling in? Uh, so you, you brought that in other ways, whether it be gluttony or whether it be economics, um, some of those things. And, and then you, you talked about the Latin term there, um, and basically, a, a prayer. You know what we what we pray for is what we get. Or prayer fra- frames the way you believe, and and then belief frames the way you live. Um, so it, you touched on this a little bit, but do you, do you mind digging that a little bit uh, of ways of ways as Anabaptist as you observe present day contemporary Anabaptism. Uh, me, whatever our church, other churches. What what are some ways that that, that we are praying um, that's sobering that we need to grow in or need to stop? Yeah, I don't know if I want to point them things out like that. <laughs> I I don't. Uh, 
But the, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, <clears throat> the prayer for revival and wanting to return to the Great Awakening style of Christianity and some of the strife that has gone with uh, most revival movements um, is, yeah. is a quest that I really wonder about. Uh, and as I watch mm. church strife and as I watch and as I read uh, history books, it, uh, it seems sometimes like, yeah, well, this is what we're living all the time. So maybe we should be a little careful what we ask for. And look, uh, maybe a little bit more, I'd say, the patristics and their uh, mechanisms of church growth and their patterns of prayer, the way they viewed prayer. And less just uh, getting completely excited and and, uh, desiring these uh, thoughts of religious ecstasy and then that being sort of this return to apostolic Christianity of some sort I'm not sure mm-hmm. what to think about all those things, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it does seem like it's sort of a, a post-Reformation phenomenon that hasn't necessarily led to the growth of the body into the fullness of the stature of Christ, whereas uh, the way the early church prayed was maybe a little bit more effective, I think, in that kind of a way, looking at history. And uh, if I... <clears throat> put a plug in for this book the patient for men of the early church there's a whole section in on worship and prayer and uh, some interesting stuff highly recommend that you read it and uh, think think about it which i know you did but uh, mm-hmm. maybe we can link that that book in uh, as a resource here on the page um yeah so thank you um any 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 questions for our brother here mr weaver my name is joel thank you very much for the great words um i guess to me my criterion is well do i love you know do i love as jesus loved and are my words bringing that love (laughs) since i'm the only one i can control Mm-hmm. So instead of worrying about again all of society and you know everybody else on the planet, I appreciate your words very much. In the uh, soberness of your words, I really appreciate them. So thank you. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, Delbert, thank you for sharing. And those were um, good words that that we heard this morning. So one thing that um, I wonder about is. You know, about the sectarianism, it's not unique to our churches, if you will. It seems like it's um, pretty common across the Protestant spectrum uh, post-Reformation. Um, what what did the Reformation lose from the Catholic system that, um, that maybe should not have been lost? If the question makes sense there. Yeah, the question makes sense, <clears throat> and it's a question that uh, I've thought about and been asked before. I don't know if I have a good answer to it. Um, there was definitely, I think the Catholics would really promote a specific order to creation and an order to life that you're supposed to live and you're not supposed to deviate from it. And I'm not sure that their representation of that was how Christ-centered it was. I mean, obviously they were uh, leading up to the Reformation. There was all sorts of things going on, but uh, with, uh, with the Protestant soteriology, especially with the Lutheran end of it, just seem to kind of, well, if your behavior doesn't really relate to your salvation, that, that was a very big difference like from what Catholicism is saying. But it just it seems to me to be a real fountainhead for sort of this free-for-all stuff that we're seeing manifest on the left today. Um, I, I don't know if that's the biggest issue, that the Catholics would... Uh, still hold to a specific order. And I think to the, to, to the credit of Calvin and Luther, I think they would too, uh, 
but th their soteriology did have a weird sort of uh, meaninglessness to the to, to the the way the works relate to salvation. I think I would be suspicious. That would be the bigger area. But there could there could be more to it. I mean, if you have any thoughts on it, feel free to. Yeah, I think that uh, seems very very probable. Um, but that's uh, a big contributor to why we are where we are today. But yeah, appreciate those thoughts. Thank you. The, the idea of Delbert that I've never thought about a whole lot, um, but is, is rather fascinating is, yeah, is the church really taking the responsibility for where we are here in the West. You know, um, there's just so many voices online, angry voices on the right. Um, and it's easy to buy into that and really to think really <laughs> um, an ugly way uh, of, of the left. But really, that's hypocritical um, because we we have allowed we have created this seedbed if you will for that to grow in this idea of freedom of speech and do what you want um and so many as we know like even over the last couple of years with covid and people not going to their churches so many people have just walked away and quickly united states is heading into a post-christian world which makes gives people a lot of fear but as we know the patristics or the, or the early church and most of the world today lives is, is a minority. Uh, and when Christianity is a minority, you can actually point out that that's when it flourishes. Um, and it can be more, more of a, of a, of a healthy representation of what the church is to be. Um, so thank you brother for um, sharing. Uh, I know that um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of depth here and um a lot of things to be plumbed uh, and, and talked about and, and prayed about. So one of the sobering things um, that, that that I took from your from your talk here this morning is that this idea of the Pharisees and and those religious ones finally being the ones who were really um, behind Jesus being crucified. Uh, Paul even talks about that. Um, that these people um, were the ones who, who, who killed Jesus. But this idea that Pharisees were elevating unimportant things and devaluing the important things. And, uh, and that's sobering. So may, may God um, give us, yeah, renew us. And uh, may we dig into scripture and into, yeah, the ways of Jesus and uh, have our lives and our minds transformed by the power of the gospel so we can live this new humanity uh, as you talked about. So thank you for being, um, for stepping out of your comfort zone and coming on and sharing this morning. I, I really appreciate what you shared. So God, God bless you richly. Um, so we're going to just have, I'll ask you Delbert to close with prayer here right shortly. Um, and uh, one other announcement is that in two weeks, we'll be back here again, together on this call, Lord willing, and a brother from Massachusetts will be sharing on tips for reading the Bible. Um, so join us back here then. So, um, Delbert, could you just lead us in prayer, please? Sure. Father in heaven, we uh, come before you uh, confessing that we're sinners of the meeting of your grace, your mercy in our lives. Pray for all wisdom and discernment in uh, the challenges that we face today. We pray that uh, that our light would shine amongst us um, from our hearts as individuals and uh, from uh, amongst us as uh, brothers and sisters that relate to each other. And uh, pray that we could love and grow in love and uh, have a proper understanding of these things. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be able to, uh, as your people, hear your chastisements and uh, your encouragements and uh, find our way forward as a faithful people in our age. 
we ask uh, that you be with each of us and that your blessings would be abundant in our lives. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining this morning and grace and peace. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.